Hey, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Podcast Brunch Club podcast. I'm Adela, and I'm the founder of Podcast Brunch Club, and we will be joined by the co-host of the podcast, Sarah De Silva, who is the founder of Audible Feast. A few updates before we start. I want to let you all know that I have some really exciting news about some new chapters that are launching now and this month. We have Vancouver, Paris, and Sonoma County. And if you are not a part of one of our chapters, you should go on to podcastbrunchclub.com slash in-person and see if we have a chapter near you. And if we don't, there's a form at the bottom of that page and you can fill it out and I can help you start one. So today we are going to discuss the podcast playlist on water, which you can find at podcastbrunchclub.com slash water. Our Cape Town chapter curated this playlist for us. And I don't know if you all know, but Cape Town is actually in the midst of a water shortage and they are under pretty hefty restrictions. So it's very appropriate that they chose this theme. And actually it's very appropriate that they are curating the playlist for April because the original quote unquote day zero was scheduled in April. Day zero was the day that they were supposed to run out of water. It got pushed back to July and now it is sort of unknown. They think that they might be able to escape day zero, but it depends on a number of factors. They chose four episodes for the playlist. One was from Today Explained, and it goes into the Cape Town water shortage and some of the stories behind the water crisis. Another is from the BBC World Service. The podcast is called The Food Chain, and the episode explores whether or not we really need bottled water in the world. Another is from Reveal, and it's a deep dive into the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, which, as a lot of you probably already know, it was a very big deal, at least here in the United States. They ended up with contaminated water, lead was contaminating their water, and it was not only unsafe to drink, but also unsafe to even bathe in. Finally, we listened to a beautiful episode from 20,000 Hertz about the issue of noise pollution in our oceans. So in the first segment of the episode, Sarah and I and Natalie from our Cape Town chapter provide our in-the-moment commentary on each episode. And that's woven in with the actual pieces of the episodes that we're talking about. And then in the second segment, Sarah and I do what happens at almost every podcast brunch club meeting that ever happened in the world. We talk about what we're listening to. Spoiler, we actually go down the true crime rabbit hole. So I hope you enjoy it. And I was in Cape Town in the winter of 2014, and it was an incredibly wet winter. The next year, the rains didn't come, or the year after that, or even the year after that. We've had three consecutive winters now of, of poor rainfall. We have really reached a point of no return. And it's quite unbelievable that a majority of people do not seem to care and are sending all of us headlong 
to towards day zero. Hi there, this is Natalie Wilson of the Cape Town chapter of Podcast Brunch Club and I'm going to share some thoughts around the theme and the episodes we featured in this month's podcast. Water has been and become a really emotive subject in Cape Town, well across South Africa, but really in the Western Cape of South Africa because of the severe drought that we've had. It's actually made us all stop and realize how much of a big deal water is in our everyday lives. And it's something that I think we all uh, suspected we knew and took for granted, but certainly people are much, much more aware of their behaviors and their usage of water than they ever have been before. This is calming down um, now that the city of Cape Town have actually delayed Desiro indefinitely um, because of a few additional water sources, um, some very helpful and lovely farmers from the agricultural sector have actually released a huge amount of water back into the public water system, and that's been probably the most primary driver for that happening. Uh, people are still overusing against the 50 litres per day uh, guideline. But um, with that delay and with that almost cancellation of day zero, uh, the challenge is that people are now starting to become a bit more complacent again. So while we sort of have broadly learned our lesson and don't use nearly as much water, um, we're not really sticking to the program. Uh, certainly in the conversations I've had with um, friends and colleagues since the cancellation of Day Zero. But the latest I've heard is that um, I believe that if the April rains on strong enough, which is not a very traditionally rainy time of the year in Cape Town, um, that Day Zero may be still scheduled uh, for August of this year. So we have to see. We really desperately need a good winter. Um, our usual rains are in winter. So, yeah, it's not been quite cancelled or stalled as yet. Uh, in fact, last week, a mock water distribution station, uh, which is the kind of the plan for the city once water becomes an issue is that they would have these public distribution stations that people would go to to collect water. Um, and a mock station has set, been set up in a park not far from where I work. These trials have been running across the city to test uh, infrastructure and to test how it could work, um, access points and um, how they would manage crowd control. And seeing these hundreds of water pumps lined up in grids on a park looks like something out of a war zone. There was a rush on stores for water um, when Day Zero was still on the cards, but this has calmed down now. Um, when Day Zero talk flares up again, this will likely pick up. Um, it's true that those more well-off citizens seem to be able to buy their way out of the situation. Um, so there is a real sort of class difference, and that's, that's a real challenge um, for the government to resolve as well. So looking at this podcast, um, so... The podcast group here in Cape Town, a few of the members and I had a look at a wide range of episodes. And in selecting the episodes to feature, it was important to feature Cape Town, but also to show how water security is an issue globally, not just here. From the Center for Investigative Reporting in PRX, this is Reveal. Walters won't let her kids drink any water from her faucet. She won't even let her four-year-old boys bathe in anything but bottled water. 
Walters takes jugs of water she buys at the store, dumps them in large pots, and heats the water on the stove. Once it boils, she dumps the water in the bathtub. Then she adds three or four gallons of cool water to sort of get the bath at the right temperature. Over several months, Walter says she's gotten pretty efficient at this routine. She's got bath time prep down to about 45 minutes. And then in between, because we only do the bathing thing once a week now, um, we do baby wipe baths in between. Hey, Gavin, what do we say about the water? They've been to enough rallies. <laughs> Most people, I think, have heard of the problems in Flint, Michigan. I'd certainly heard of them very tangentially, but hearing the full extent of them in the reveal episode was really, really eye-opening to me. Um, the concern of a mum for the safety of the water that her children are drinking and swimming in, um, it's really quite mind-blowing how she was proven right. And I don't really blame her for not trusting the water um, in her new home until it's proven to be absolutely fine. Once it was clear Flint could save millions of dollars a year with the new system, Flint got on board. Earth moving equipment is digging the trench where the pipes will be installed. But there was a catch. The new water system wasn't built yet. And once Detroit realized Flint was going to leave its system, it jacked Flint's rates up even more. To the tune of $10 million over the two years, the new pipeline would be under construction. In the reveal episode, they're talking about how once Detroit realized that Flint was going to use a different water supply, that Detroit jacked up their prices. First of all, I find that completely insane, and I'm surprised that they're allowed to do that in any way, shape, or form. And then the fact that immediately after Flint changed their water source to the Flint River, which was sounded like it was an intermediate uh, solution to the problem, Immediately after that, they started getting a lot of complaints, which also surprises me because it feels like this is something that they would have tested before. I mean, if residents are seeing it immediately because it's a visual thing, right? Like their water is brown or orangey. How is it that that Flint didn't know that this was going to be an issue? I mean, there had to have been some sort of testing before just shutting off one valve and opening up another. I find it shocking, actually, that this is the turn of events that happened that led to the Flint water crisis. That's Gavin, you hear, putting up some protest. He doesn't want to get out yet. But his mom is still so wary about the safety of tap water. She doesn't let the boys spend any more time in the tub than they need to. After everything this mom went through in Flint, you better believe she's getting her water tested for lead in her new home, some 700 miles away. So after listening to the reveal episode, I decided to do a quick Google search on Chicago's water service lines. And I came across an article that concerns me a little bit. Uh, granted, it's from 2016, but it does say that Chicago has some of the oldest water lines. This is a quote from the article. Chicago has more lead service lines than any other city. 
and required them by law until 1986 when Congress banned the use of the brain-damaging metal to convey drinking water. And the article goes on to say that even though Mayor Rahm Emanuel has gotten $412 million borrowed from a federal state loan fund um, for water-related projects, none of the money is going to replace lead pipes. And it seems like the city will be putting the onus on homeowners to take care of that issue, I guess, because the city will be replacing the water mains, the, the main, you know, water lines that go up and down the streets, and then the service lines that take the water from those mains to the homes. It looks like the city will be letting households decide whether or not it's worth the expense. So slightly concerning, especially considering the fact that other cities, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, um, are sort of replacing the lines and figuring out economical ways that the homeowners can either pay the city back or get loans for the, for the cost of doing the project. So, I don't know, I want, I want to hear what other PBC members find out about their city and their water service lines. From DeFacto Sound, you're listening to 20,000 Hertz. A study by Susan Parks at Syracuse University compared recordings of North Atlantic right whale calls from the 2000s to those recorded in the 1950s. It seemed like the older recordings had been slowed down until she realized something amazing. She found that these whales are actually changing their frequency over decades. Why? Because the higher pitch calls can be heard more clearly amongst all of the noise from ships. The Gulf of Mexico, where the noise levels are so high, the whales that depend on low frequency sounds, like blue whales or humpbacks, they're all gone. They're not there. This is Sarah, and these are my comments about the 20,000 Hertz episode. I always feel at peace when I'm near water, and the noises of these animals are awesome. I wish I could take like some kind of sonic tour of a reef or a lake. Hearing animal sounds makes me like feel like I really care for the animals. Oh my gosh, I love the idea of a sonic tour. That is such a good idea. I feel like somebody's going to have to to do that because that would be kind of awesome. If whales and other sea life have to move to areas that have less sound, I wonder what the effect will be on the food chain. Yeah, I... I agree. I wonder what is going on with the food chain if these larger animals are changing their migratory patterns based on noise pollution. I was really fortunate to get to interview Dallas, who's the host of the 20,000 Hertz podcast, and I will include that interview as a bonus episode in a couple of weeks. 
Hello, I'm Manuela Saragossa. Welcome to The Food Chain, the program that mixes the science, culture and business of all we eat and drink. Today, globally, sales of bottled water are set to overtake those of carbonated or soda drinks. It's an industry worth more than $14 billion in the US alone. We'll be asking, how did it get to this? There's a lot of distrust now of corporations, of public water. People want bottled water. But should Nestle be bottling water in California during a drought? You know, look, I'm Californian. I've lived here all my life. I'm just as concerned, and and as a company, we're very concerned about the conditions in and around our spring sites. Why not stop taking the water from here while while it's studied? Water stewardship's very important to us as well. I mean, we're just as concerned, maybe more so than others. I mean, I know there are more vocal people than we are, for sure. We've operated here for over 121 years, in these mountains right here. The impacts of our business are, you're staring at them. It's beautiful. In listening to the food chain episode, I am completely frustrated to hear the answer by the Nestle representative. The reporter asked a very pointed question about whether or not they should be bottling water during a drought in California. And he just went on this tangent of saying, like, look, I'm Californian, stewardship is very important to us, yada, yada, yada. But he never actually answered the question. And that was just really frustrating to me. And it seemed to be the theme (laughs) when you listen to a lot of the responses by the company's representatives that they sort of tiptoe around the question and around the, the bigger issue and just say how great of a company they are and ignore the underlying question. Bottled water as a commodity and how it's actually produced was really interesting. And so the BBC podcast uh, that we listened to on the food chain, I thought was really fascinating. It's become a sort of um, household staple to buy water. You often see those individual bottles, people packing them into their trolleys and stores um, outside of uh, water shortage situations. We're here in Cape Town now. We're in a position where it's a must-have. It's not a. It's not a nice to have. We're also living in a. Interestingly, we're also living in a trade-off situation between water and plastic. So, um, of course, if you're consuming bottled water, you're consuming more plastic and adding more plastic into um, hopefully the recycling chain, often the landfill chain. And at the moment, people are having to weigh up the difference, right? They're having to weigh up the benefits of having water in the home and fresh water with easy access versus adding more plastic. And at the moment, plastic's winning, so we're erring on the side of having more plastic to facilitate having more water. Okay, Luke Vanderplug, Today Explained producer. You asked me to wear my swim trunks. I'm wearing them. And why are we doing this? Because Cape Town is now down to 13 gallons per person of water per day. So the, each person in Cape Town is limited to 13 gallons of water per day? Yes. I'm ready to go when you are. You okay. just... Oh, let's go! All right, I'm, uh, I'm wetting down. I'm lathering. No, no time to waste here. Get my soap going. Oh, now it's really hot! <laughs> okay, I got... Shampoo in the hair. 
Shampoo in the hair. And turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. I got shampoo in the eyes. Alright, you're done. I am soap all over me. <laughs> Can I open the shower? Sure. How do you feel right now? Incomplete. <laughs> Fun fact, this is all the water that you're allowed to use for the day, so uh, you can't even like wink at like a glass of water. Uh, the episode that does feature Cape Town uh, actually does quite a neat trick in uh, demonstrating how short showers do have to be. So currently we work on the basis of two minute showers um, and not everyone showers every day. Um, it's amazing how quickly people have adjusted to this. And when you do shower, you stand in a bucket and you collect all the water that's running down out of that shower for use elsewhere as grey water. Um, that was quite neat, I thought, in terms of demonstrating just how limited you are in terms of the water that you can consume and how much water is used by things like bathing and showering. insane looking back how uh, my relationship has changed with water. I can't comprehend how flippant I was about it. I can't imagine going back to flushing the toilet after using it every time. I can't imagine back to flushing the toilet ever with clean drinking water. Things like that seem utterly ridiculous now that we're in this crisis. So in listening to the Today Explained episode, I have a number of thoughts. One is how terrifying it must be to be months away. I mean, this woman is months away from the potential of having to line up to get her daily water. And how does that even happen? I can't even imagine the logistics of that. And people have to work. And I, I just, I don't even know how that happens. And I also heard her say a number of times that the idea of literally flushing drinkable water down the toilet is completely foreign to her now, and a year ago it wasn't. And it just gets me thinking, I mean, I do that every day. I never think of that as drinkable water because it's in my toilet. But why are our septic systems set up like this? It seems like Elon Musk or something should design some sort of new septic system that takes our gray water and recycles it into our septic system. It just, that does seem like such a waste, especially when most of us recognize that climate change is a thing and that water may be scarce in the future. So I feel like that would be one way to conserve by recycling our gray water. You know, the situation in Cape Town, uh, it seems like it's really not going to affect the wealthiest residents. Is it always going to break down this way where rich people still get to live lavishly with water and poor people will have to ration? Maybe it's no surprise, but these kinds of crises always hurt disadvantaged communities and the poorest communities more than richer communities. It's the richer countries and regions of the world that have modern, sophisticated water systems. And the poorest communities, even in the United States, like Flint, Michigan, when they suffer a problem with the water system, it's not the rich communities that suffer, it's the poorest communities that suffer. That disparity between the rich and the poor has always characterized water problems and I think is going to, to get worse and worse in the coming years. 
Yeah, so hopefully this um, gives a bit of insight into what it's like being in Cape Town over the last couple of years and specifically the start of this year. I think what's quite interesting is there are children and families and babies who will be born into this environment. They will grow up in the city where water is never taken for granted, where desalination plants will have come on stream, where uh, recycling grey water back for use in the household or in the garden is going to become pretty much par for the course, where in fact probably some people are going to be going off the grid in terms of collecting rainwater and using it for their household eventually. So that's going to be an interesting lifestyle change for the people of Cape Town and in the Western Cape. I hope the subject was interesting and I'm looking forward to listening to the next round. Thanks. Hey guys, this is Sarah from Audible Feast. I'm here with Adela now, um, and we are talking this water playlist. Adela, which was your favorite episode from the water playlist this month, and what did you like about it? So I liked all of them, but I think I really enjoyed the one from Today Explained most, just because I feel like I learned a lot. It sort of made me really reevaluate how I see water, and I keep thinking about what she kept saying about flushing drinkable water down the toilet and it just boggles my mind and I and I I've definitely changed my habits since listening to that podcast so so I think that was my favorite yeah that's funny um I have young kids as you guys may or may not know they're four and six and um, when they come home from school sometimes they talk about oh I can't leave the water running when I'm brushing my teeth so um, they're learning about it at a young age. Uh, I think it's just over time we've started to take water for granted. So I'm encouraged, I guess, that they're <laughs> they're thinking that way at least. And I could probably learn something from them for sure. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I really liked the 20,000 Hertz episode. And I remember listening to that when it came out. So I actually, anytime I see that on a playlist, a podcast brunch club playlist, I get really excited because I think like, oh, someone else picked out the same episode that I've listened to before, um, <laughs> or they've heard of the same show that I thought was, you know, sort of obscure and, oh, look here, it popped up on a playlist that I always get like, I always totally nerd out when that happens. But what I liked about it was that it was just like so peaceful and I thought so much about the animals that really made me care about the animals. I think I mentioned that in my comment um, while I was listening, but I just, I just felt like such a connection to the animals. That show is so good at putting together thoughtful sounds. And mm -hmm. I just, that's something that I don't necessarily seek it out in podcasts, but when I find one that has amazing sound design, I always talk about it. Yeah, and it's fun too because as a bonus episode later this month, I'll be releasing an interview that I did with Dallas Taylor, who's the host of that podcast, and he talks a little bit about that. He has a sound studio, and he's been working in the field of sound design for a, for a long time. So yeah, stay tuned. You'll. I wish you could have been on that interview with me, but yeah, that's gonna be awesome. 
Well, we hope you enjoyed our reactions to the water playlist. We certainly want to hear yours too. So if you're interested in sending in community commentary, we love to have that. And at the end of this episode, Adela will give some tips on how to best do that. And now, because this is basically how every single podcast brunch club meeting ever goes, mm-hmm. we are going to share what else we've been crazy about in the last few weeks. This is like exactly the script of all my podcast brunch club meetings is we talk about the playlist and then we say, oh, what else have you been listening to? So I am going to start. I really want to talk about true crime today. We rarely talk about true crime and true crime is not often featured on any podcast brunch club playlist. So I have some like complex, I guess, feelings about true crime podcasts. But what I have been loving lately is the investigative journalism and reporting type of true crime podcast. So I just did a review recently on the CBC show Missing and Murdered. And this season was um, subtitled Finding Cleo. Um, is the second season of the show. And the host is Connie Walker. And the show focuses on missing and murdered indigenous women from Canada. And the reason why that's the focus of the show is because a lot of the women that go missing or have gone missing over the last several decades, you know, not as much thought or effort or care is necessarily put into their cases. Um, And so it's really fascinating the couple of people that they profiled, what has happened to them, So anyway, in this particular season, the podcast explores what happened to this young girl. She was taken from her family in something they call the 60s scoop, which really went beyond the 1960s. It went into the 70s and the 80s. But it... Wait, it was called what? The 60s group? 60s scoop. 60s scoop, like they scooped up kids and they took them to... Uh, They adopted them out to other families, really predominantly white families. And not all of them stayed in Canada. Some of them went to the U.S. um, and I'm assuming other places too. And this family had five kids in it and the kids were all adopted out separately, uh, except I believe two twins. I think they may have been adopted together. And so they lost touch with each other. Their mother was you know, definitely had some issues. Um, and the father was not in the picture. So these these kids got adopted out. And the woman that is the center of this, or the girl, I guess, that's the center of this case, her name was Cleo. And she got adopted out into the United States. And she never talked to her siblings again after she was adopted out. Um, her family was notified sometime after she was adopted, that she had died. And they weren't given any information about how she died. They just were told your sister and your daughter are no longer living. Wait, I have a question. I have a question about this. So was she kidnapped or was she adopted out? She was adopted out, but it was like a forced adoption. Oh, it was a forced adoption. It's like unbelievable. I mean, obviously it it happened, but it's kind of unbelievable that it happened. But the indigenous people are treated very poorly in Canada. In the United States, too, yeah. Yes, exactly. So th- she was adopted out and never saw her family again. She, Her family found out that she had died, and then they wanted to find out what happened, and they could not find out any information. So through the course of 
this podcast, Connie Walker, the host and the reporter, she helps the family try to find out what happened to their sister and where she went, what happened, how did she die, etc. It's fascinating. Of course, it is um, much more than true crime. It's a definitely a commentary on how Indigenous people are treated. Um, it talks about this 60s scoop and why did they think that was a good idea. They interview someone who was involved in creating that program. And wow. he talked about, yeah, I, I almost couldn't believe that he was willing to give that yeah. interview. Um, he talked about, you know, what the goal was it at the time. They were, you know, really trying to give these kids a better life than what they had. So anyway, it's just, it's like fascinating. So I just, I cannot recommend it enough. It is so respectful. It's so carefully done. Connie Walker talks to these different family members. She tries to talk to the mother who adopted Cleo. She talks to some of Cleo's childhood friends. It's just like the amount of work and the tracking down and the sleuthing that they did to try and find out what happened is amazing. So yeah, I mean, that sounds super interesting. I think we've talked about this before. I am not a true crime fan. <laughs> <laughs> but I've recently actually been listening to Empire on Blood. And yes, have you listened? Yes, I listened to whole thing. Yep, it was great. Yeah, it was really good. I really like the way that uh, they start in the courtroom and then end in the courtroom. And, yeah. and I also like the fact that some of these, so, you know, I'm going to say something that's just going to, probably be sort of blasphemous in our community but <laughs> i uh i didn't really love serial i actually listened to a couple episodes and then just gave up and i think there were a few reasons that it happened one i think it's because i was listening at the time you know at the time that they were dropping the episodes so i had to wait the week or two weeks or whatever between episodes and because it's such rich content I couldn't wait the week. Like, I forget. I have the worst memory. I John and I were just watching uh, a show yesterday um, that just started called The Crossing, which is made by the people who did Lost. It literally debuted last week. So we watched the first episode. And then the next episode, too, was today or yesterday. And I was like, I forgot what happened last week. I mean, <laughs> that's how bad my memory is. Yeah. So it's it's terrible for me. Like I need, so what I really appreciated about Empire and Blood is they dropped all of the episodes on the same day. And so if you wanted to binge it, you could binge it. And for yeah. me, those serialized podcasts that are so sort of complex and rich and have lots of characters and storylines, I, I have to binge it. Otherwise I just forget. And I forget who's who and where's what and all of those things. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a good note for podcast creators is to do a really good recap. If you are going to be a serialized show, then you have to do a really good recap, not just, you know, replaying a long clip or something from the previous episode last week. Yeah. But, you know, do a really good recap that talks about a number of things that happened in the previous episode. But I also I you sparked something for me. I realized with Missing and Murdered this time, I've never seen a podcast do this. Uh, they released three episodes on the first day that were all kind of like related. And it was kind of like a, each one had a cliffhanger in itself. So like you could have just listened to one if you wanted to, but there's no way. So I just, <laughs> I remember it, I think it was a Sunday night. I stayed up really late, like listening to the whole thing and the three episodes in a row. And then 
it was the perfect amount of cliffhanger that I felt like I knew enough because it was long enough so that I a lot of the themes had already been reinforced in the first three episodes so that by the next week when the next episodes the next block of episodes came out I could remember and I had I was like so excited for it so I there was this balance I agree with you it's it's hard especially for you and I we listen to tons of podcasts so you have to have something that's going to make me remember that you know your show is going to come out again in another week and remember where I left off with the story yeah I know it's it's an interesting thing to think about is like what is the benefit of releasing it on a schedule like that a week apart what is the benefit of you know, dropping all the episodes at once. I mean, obviously, podcasts are monetizing. So I'm sure that comes into into play when they're thinking about how how they're going to release the episodes. But I mean, I even like I said, again, yesterday, when we were watching this show, I just kind of turned to John and I was like, I think we should just wait until it's over and then binge it then. Yeah. And it could be, I mean, that was my issue with loss is like, I, I actually watched it really religiously. And I'm not really a TV person, but I watched it pretty religiously back when it was it was on. And then by like season five, I was like, oh my God, you're referencing stuff that happened in in season one. That was five years ago. I don't remember. And there are like 30 characters and yeah. you keep, you know, going forward in time and backward in time. And you're just, I'm lost. I literally, like, I am lost. I think that's why <laughs> they called it that. Sh- but, you know, I, I gave up. I was like, you know what? I'm done. I can't because I felt like every and it, it's the same with almost like Game of Thrones. I, I never really got into it, but I binged, I think, the first three seasons and then I caught up. And by fourth season, I was like, I forgot what happened. I feel like I would have to go back to all first three seasons and watch it over again. And yeah. that is the last thing I'm going to do is listen to something again or watch something again. I just, yeah. I have too much other new stuff to listen to that the last thing I want to do is listen to something I've already listened to. So. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, uh, I would say I'm like a medium true crime fan. I like some of it, but I, I definitely don't really care for the gory ones. I don't really care about the horrible details about how someone was killed or whatever, but um, that doesn't do it for me. And I definitely don't like the ones that, sort of have humor have you know around a crime that's really tough for me there was one recently that I saw that was part of the uh, a different uh, part of the two pods a day campaign that was about domestic violence stories and violence against kids and I was just like I can't do that I I I don't know wait and it was putting up funny spin on it no it wasn't funny but it was like it was I mean the intent was to educate yeah um and you know, just share that these things happen. But, um, oh man, I was like a hard, hard pass for me on that one. I have little kids myself. That's, that's really tough. Um, yeah. But anyway, I mean, I definitely do like the investigative reporting ones in right. the dark, I think was so fantastic. That was out a couple years ago and is about to come out with its second season and no one even knows what the topic's going to be. So that's going to be so exciting. Um, uh, missing and murders so good. Someone knows something is another great one that I I just really enjoyed. And Empire and Blood was really good too. So I've written reviews of all of those shows that I <laughs> mentioned, except Empire and Blood. I just listened to, but I, I may write a review of that one. I I think I have enough enough to say about that one. I I really enjoyed it. 
So did you listen to A Very Fatal Murder? I did. So just for those of you who don't know what this is, A Very Fatal Murder is uh, done by The Onion, and it's satirical, so it's sort of spoofing the whole true crime genre. And I actually listened to it recently, and it is pretty funny. I mean... I, you know, for me, I was like, I, I could listen to one episode or two episodes and I get it and I don't need to, it's not, there's, I'm not super curious about what happens, so I don't need to listen, but like the, the funny parts are just how self-involved the reporter is and, uh, you know, just, oh, he's like a big New York reporter and he's gone to this tiny little town and, you know, God knows where Nebraska and they're such simpletons and I'm such a big reporter. I mean, it's pretty funny the way that they they set it up. And um and I appreciated it. But did you like it? Yeah, I thought it was really funny and I thought I mean, there are some obvious digs I think at very specific shows, but I think it's the thing that I re- that really they really hit on for me was I hate when the host makes themselves part of the story. Like what right. you're not <laughs> you're not right. in the crime. Like you don't you're you're probably not going to solve it. I don't know. So it was pretty funny. So yeah, um, that's uh, about wraps up our discussion for this month. If you're interested in sending some reactions in to our community commentary episode, Adela will give instructions here and um, we'll talk to you guys next month. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As Sarah mentioned, we really want to make this a community podcast. I think I say this every episode, probably in the intro and the outro. So I apologize if this is getting old, but it's true. We really want to feature you on the podcast, which means we need your help. So as you're listening to the playlist every month, which I send out via the PBC newsletter, so go and subscribe if you don't get it. As you're listening... If you have something to share, hit pause, go to your smartphone voice memo app, record your comment, and just send it to me at podcast at podcastbrunchclub.com. I have some tips, some technical tips on the website at podcastbrunchclub.com slash audio tips. Also, like I said, don't forget to sign up for the PBC newsletter and the Audible Feast newsletter, which is excellent. Sarah listens to so many podcasts. And she kind of does the heavy lifting for you. She does all of the reviews of these amazing podcasts. She goes independent. She goes big name. And she sometimes features interviews with, with the podcast creators. So it's, it's an awesome newsletter. Also, you can join our Facebook group. So just search for Podcast Brunch Club on Facebook. We have about 1,200 members now. So it's a great community. One thing you may have missed, and this is just a little carrot for you to join the podcast brunch club newsletter is that i recently raffled off a pair of tickets to all of the radiotopia shows on their east coast tour so i managed to get my hands on a pair of tickets for every city that they're going to and i raffled them off and i let everybody know via the podcast brunch club facebook group by twitter and by the newsletter so Go ahead and join us somehow so that you can find out about these cool things. Thanks and happy listening.